It's also the way that I always find it a little awkward ending or knowing when to end a catch-up. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're out for coffee with someone or you're you're out for a drink, it always invariably seems to be me who does that yeah, double slap on the knees. Right. Okay, then. Okay. Let's boost. Yeah, I'm terrible at doing that. <laughs> I, I'm awful. I will drag it on for days. If if it, like oftentimes it will be the the coffee people who, who end the who end the catch up. They'll be like, "You guys got to go in there." Like, oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Like the last time we all hung out hung out at, at Paul's, the two of us and, and Graham, we all went over for food, and I ended that. I was like, "Okay, right, we're off." Bye. You very definitively did. I was I was kind of proud of you, but. It was you timed it pretty well. But, but, but again, I'm just like I don't know. Did, did Paul have more to say? Did you have more to say? Have we exhausted all the chat? I think that was, a, that was it's an all right one because it can be revisited, right? It's not like a once in a lifetime thing. We're all right. we're all in a similar area, so you can cut that one short and be like, we'll make plans next time with more time. And then it's like, oh, great! That sounds wonderful. But but then I wonder if like did they were they waiting to spill some enormous secret? And I've just cut them off of the past by saying, right, bye, I've, I've got a booking to see a cop shop. <laughs> I need to go. I think if you've spent three to four hours trying to build up the secret spill, then you probably needed the reset anyway, more than you think. I mean, three to four hours is a generous time to be hanging out with me. It's usually a prompt 90 minutes, maybe two hours. You're too, if yeah. If the chat's good. If the chat's good, two hours. No, that, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't pass the gym check. Like, you know, sometimes you just feel like you've exhausted everything. You think, okay, work, right. life, but that's all right. family. You can just like sit, drink a thing silence oh. and then someone will think of something else to say like 10 minutes later and that's fine <laughs> that's a really enjoyable place to be uh, no I, i'm t- you've got I, to embrace that nope i totally disagree because there's that really awkward chat and, and you know, the, the conversation kind of ends comes to a natural end and you both go for a drink or something and both of us and you know it both of us are thinking like racking your brain quite quite quick nah. say something what else can i say what else can i say nah. and the longer the silence goes on the weirder it gets you're saying both people but you're just projecting you have got no idea if the other person is in a content silence or in an awkward silence. But then the content silence, I'm thinking, okay, well, we're done here. And then slap the knees, right? I'm off. I might as well be contently silent at home, double slap. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have, I realized this over, you know, catching up with people in the last few months who I hadn't seen in a long time. Yeah. You know, sometimes the opening minutes are a little bit sticky because in, ge- in some cases you genuinely haven't seen them for a year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe longer than that. I think this is a big positive of having a thing to do, like having a light game of sorts. And I'm not talking about the weird ones that people play on their phones and things like that and I'm charades and all of those things. Uh, I mean, like an actual like fun activity. Um, that can often be the thing that spurs conversations to to last longer. Yeah, okay. Something to turn to is good. I agree with that. So maybe you need to carry a pack of cards with you to all your meetings, and then just slap <laughs> them out and be like, "Do you want to play whatever? Do you want to play Skulls?" Never even heard of that game. I think it's called Skulls. I'll look it up on next time. I'll 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 play Skulls with you. But sometimes the hey, let's do an activity. Sometimes that backfires as well. I, I'm sure you will remember. Dear listeners, on the the podcast about this time last June, several, maybe 60 episodes ago, that I had gone for a catch-up with one of my old friends, Rebecca McPherson. (laughs) Yeah, but that's it. The choice of activity is key. Right. And I was, I said, hey, do you want to catch up? And she was like, yeah, what'd you fancy? Coffee, drinks, trampolining? And I was like, yeah, trampolining. Let's go trampolining. 
And then within 15 minutes of going, she had broken her ankle. And then after the fact, when we just when we talked about it, she said, I put in trampolining as a joke. And you I thought I was being serious. Yeah. And then you realise that once you're when you're trampolining, you're bouncing around the place. It's you can't catch up. up. There's a different kind of up going. It's on. just like, hello, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, again, it's the it's the choice of activity, but it's also the choice of person. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there are there are people. Look, I'm sure the two of us, if we felt in the mood to go trampolining and also as double it as a catch up. Could do that. Probably. But if it's someone who, in her case, I hadn't seen in a long time, just was not the right just decision at all. the strange choice. I, look, she came up with it. I thought, <laughs> okay, she wants to go trampolining. Let's let's do that. She must just like, really be keen on the trampolines. I will enable this. I will be really kind and go out of my comfort zone to go trampolining with someone who is really, really keen to. They like it as much as coffee. And then she didn't have the heart to say, Colin, I was joking. I didn't legitimately mean let's go trampolining. But I mean, at least with that one, I knew where the conversation ended because I literally took her home and then she was taken to hospital. Yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. Easy peasy. <laughs> the other option, double knee slap or crack out the old baseball bat, break an ankle. All right, we're going now. <laughs> Off we go. Inflict serious injury. End of conversation. Okay, well, I mean, that's one way to end the podcast. If you want the podcast to end, just come and knock on the door with a baseball bat, and I'm sure we will stop this thing. Absolutely. Anyway, this is Seesaw Parade. I'll wake up and down, I'll be like, could I tank that baseball bat? No. All right. No more podcasts. Yeah, this is episode 265 of Scotland's Least Dull Podcast, your new favourite podcast, and less popular than Italian restaurants. Absolutely. Especially Tony Max. I'm Colin and he's James. Yes. Continue to be indeed. And thank you very, very much for listening. A couple of points I want to make. Uh, for First of all, for everyone who got in touch, thank you so much. I'm going to read out some contributions in a second. But James, uh-huh. I did the uh, How To Podcast seminar last week. Oh, you did? With uh, the students of Fourth Valley College. How did it go? The frustrating it did go well, but the frustrating thing is I tried to play the clip told you not to. of your advice from last week and it didn't work. I told you not to. I said you gotta just narrate it in your best impression. <laughs> so instead I paraphrased you and said, Well, J- James, who we're unfortunately unable to hear right now, uh, did say that you just have to do lots of episodes and if they're rubbish, doesn't matter, keep them and only start uploading when you're happy. And I thought that was great advice, James. Or if you want to embrace the embarrassing ones, upload those too. And then never delete them. Yes. But in the run-up to said seminar, because one of the questions you always get is, well, how many listens does your podcast get? Oh. And I looked at it. Hockey. And I tell you what, our move to Spotify has paid dividends quite significantly. Right. This podcast was started in 2016 and... We are now, we are, as of last week, we're over the 30,000 listens mark, which is amazing, by the way. It's a lot of, lot of listens. Thank you. But here's the one that, here's the stat that got me. Yeah. A third of those listens, in fact, over a third of those listens, 11,000, wow. have come in the last 12 months. Yes. Which, funnily enough, also coincides with getting the podcast on Spotify. Madness. So, unbelievably... We are now more successful than ever. I looked at the uh, the graph that shows how many listens you get every year. And, you know, 2016 through to 2019, 20, it was kind of like a little, little increases every year, like a few hundred every year. But then this year, 
We're only in, we're still in September. We're already at almost 12,000 listens this year alone. We're, we're winning. That's amazing. Vic- victory. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And also, James, here was the other one. Our third biggest country of listeners after the UK and the US. Right. Is Japan so clearly, James? Your anime reviews yes, are paying off. My anime reviews are world famous. And then after that was something like Belgium and Malaysia, although they were again much smaller, smaller down. So if you, if you're listening in Brussels right now, hi. <laughs> well, or or in Japan or Malaysia. Um, <laughs> We also want to hear from you. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, it, it also broke down the number, of, like the biggest cities that listen to us. Glasgow, right, right, right. unsurprisingly, that's all me. was the top one. Right. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Second, apparently, is Columbus, Ohio. Oh. And by, by a significant margin as well. Columbus. Hmm. We clearly have a lot of o- Ohioans. Yeah. Ohioites? Ohioans. Ohioans. Let's go for that. Ohioans. So hi to the Ohioans who are listening uh, to the podcast. Oh, really appreciate oh, it. They're not anymore. And if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or SeesawParade at gmail.com. Uh, a few messages to get through. Rob got in touch with the show, I think for the first time ever. Oh. And uh, he said, because uh, I posted a picture of a Seesaw Parade mug oh, congrats, on Snapchat yeah. because I am the only person keeping that app going. Yes, yes, but yes. But yes. R- Rob replied and said, I've really been enjoying the show it's the favourite thing I've had in my ears all year. Can't believe that. And I said, well, how many things have you had in your ear? And he said, well, I had high expectations for Donda, but can you let us all down? <laughs> my son Finlay's put his finger on my ear, but that was unpleasant. Right. So it's unanimously on you and James. And Quality then he, stuff. He, he finished by saying, high praise for James as well. He is a man very much after my own heart politics wise. Oh, so you have a fan. Good stuff. I'm not going to be a politician, though. Don't. Don't start reading into this. I mean, it's the, could you could do it. No. But you'd have to start your own party. Probably. Or you could just be one of the uh, the hecklers who shouted at Sir Keir Starmer today in the Labour Party. And then I'm people get behind you and say, hey, actually, this guy's ideas are better. Beautiful hecklers. See you later, Sir Keir. you got to enjoy a good heckle. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that later on. Yes. We also heard from Ed at Tokyo Podcast. We were <gasps> talking about uh, celebs we'd like to be friends with on uh, episode 264. Hi, Ed. And she said, uh, he suggested Dolly Parton. Dolly is a gem. Because she's a legend and seems like the happiest, nicest star. And also, she takes no rubbish. She doesn't take rubbish. She's uh, the PG-13 version. No, she does a lot of good as well with uh, her, her money. So, yeah, good on Dolly. I, th- I do think there are a lot of people out there who would be the kind of people who you would like to, as I mentioned at the start, go for a coffee with. But Dolly Parton seems like the kind of person who would end the chat. She would be like, right, busy woman. Yeah, she'd slap her knees first. It's after five. Got to go. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can get in touch with the show in the ways I've listed already, or just message me and James directly, or show up to our house with a weapon, and we will stop making this program. That's... It sounds pretty serious when you actually make like make it less specific. <laughs> Show up with me, because I am a weapon. Wait, are you the compliment kind or like the you're an idiot kind? No, like an I like you're an absolute weapon. Okay, there we go. Yeah, it's all about the tone. Show up with a North Korean hypersonic missile. Oh, which they tested today. I'm sorry, this intro is really descending. <laughs> Let's uh, start the show, shall we, and talk about all right. the lack of fuel. Well, actually, no, lack of drivers for the fuel. Yeah.
Okay, let's start. So this is the news that the government's reserve tanker fleet has been deployed as of Wednesday evening to boost fuel deliveries across the UK. So uh, trucks were being driven from depots in Cambridgeshire and West Yorkshire. That's according to uh, Quasi Quarteng, the business secretary. And uh, also soldiers, the British military in the army. will be delivering fuel in the coming days. So- carrying it. In their hands, delicately, <laughs> gently. They've been kept busy. You know, if they come back from Afghanistan, hey, no more fighting for you. You've got to drive an ambulance or deliver fuel by hand. Ambulance driving, like popping up COVID hospitals here and there, driving the fuel to places. Uh, they're probably going to be installing insulation in old people's homes soon. I mean, I wonder when they signed up at their local army barracks, did they ever foresee a life? in which they would be driving tankers to the nearest ESO. You know what? I'd be a lot happier paying my taxes if I knew that all of the military were just doing, like, handyman jobs around the country. Yeah. That's way better than, like, warmongering. Let's let's talk about the actual story, though. The fuel industry say the situation at the pumps has now begun to improve, and it was working with the government to maintain regular deliveries of fuel. So this yeah, comes yeah, yeah, days yeah. after, or rather, after several days, I should say, Ooh. of very long queues at petrol stations, mainly in England, but also here in the Central Belt. I had some difficulty on Monday. We'll talk. I'll talk about that later. In which I felt like a, a terrible person because I was one of the people in the queue for petrol, but I needed petrol. I was almost out. Yeah, it happens. We'll, we'll get to that. But James, this is. Now, there's there's various arguments going on, well, yeah. uh, both behind the scenes and also publicly, but it does appear to be a lack of drivers as opposed to a lack of fuel, because the messages I'm seeing constantly from government is, we've got loads of fuel at the refineries, yeah. it's just getting it from there to the, to the pumps, which is the problem. It was a distribution thing, which... Um, was obviously compounded by people being very desperate to buy fuel because panic buying is always going to happen in these situations. And it's ridiculous to act like we can't be prepared for panic buying. And it was all the chat about like how there isn't a problem, it's just distribution. I'm like, well, that is a that is a, pro- a that's a problem right there. Distribution is pretty important. If we're running out of drivers, that's going to affect a whole lot of things, not just fuel. So I could I could see the military being involved for a long time because it does not look like we're going to find a, a short term solution for replacing drivers out with that that plan there. Well, the government have decided to tackle this by introducing a three month visa scheme yeah. after pressure from uh, from various different industries. So this temporary scheme will make it easier for foreign drivers mm-hmm. to work in the UK for up to, well, the run-up to Christmas, basically. Around 5,000 visas for drivers and another 5,000 for uh, poultry farms, apparently. But uh, the industry say that this is, again, uh, a drop in the ocean. And it's not enough, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's barely going to even scratch the surface of the major issues which will continue to happen, I imagine, in the run-up to Christmas. Yeah, and, and a big thing to consider is all of the the other industries that don't have as much of a headline feature when it comes to shortages as we're seeing for truck drivers and as we're seeing for people working on farms and stuff like that where emergency visas are being given out, which is just like 
why we left the EU. I I don't get it's 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 not a satisfying victory to see the Tories introducing all the things they told us were evil. Yeah. To 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 win the vote, um, but all of the other jobs that also need the workers back but just don't have the headlines, like they're just screwed. Um, there's far more to this than just looking at. At trucks until Christmas Eve, which, by the way, Christmas Eve is um, a bit of a horrible time to be ending a visa since last Christmas we had a whole bunch of EU drivers stuck trying to get home over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and for days thereafter. So the whole scheme is just kind of yet another botch job of a rushed effort to fix a problem that was invented by the people who are now fixing the problem but they're fixing it really poorly right and yet still they'll be as popular as ever so in between times the government essentially came out to blame people for buying the fuel yes public's fault the public are so unpredictable colin we had for example petrol stations across the country which uh, there was one in glasgow which uh, in an interview on the bbc said they'd taken thirty-eight thousand liters Overnight in a delivery at something like 5am and by midday it was gone, which was something like four times the amount of fuel they usually sell. And that mm-hmm. was a picture which was replicated across the country. So, it, But in some of these interviews you were hearing, it was very much, uh, oh, I blame the media for this. The media have, have spiralled this out of control. So what responsibility do the media have? And I've got my view on this, but what responsibility do the media have for essentially fueling... Uh-huh. The crisis. <laughs> uh, there's there's some yes headlines sell panic panic headlines sell especially and it was the usual uh, the usual crowd who were pushing out the panic headlines. Um, I judged them for most of those. However, I believe even factual reporting on this leads to panic because the fact is that we've got driver shortages and we've got distribution problems for fuel and for food and for all these things and reporting those facts plainly is going to lead to a snowballing public panic buying situation and panic buying is pretty sensible some of the time if you need fuel to get to work you're going to buy enough fuel to make sure you can get to work for the next few days and you're going to want to keep the tank full rather than half full and all of those things. It's this same thing we've discussed for, for food where as soon as you start hearing about food shortages, it is best, the best move is to have more food than you need and to keep yourself at the ceiling rather than keep the pantry half full because right, right. you don't know when the shortage is finally going to hit. So there is an element of panic to that, but there's also just an element of being sensible and not trusting the system that is clearly showing signs of being broken so factual reporting would get blamed as well so there's an element of media blame but i can't i can't say it's just it's the only problem here so from my perspective and i'm actually going to bring in some some pink elephant training here which james you're going to get for free and all listeners you're going to get this for free usually we charge people four figure sums for this information so here we go the media do have a role to play in this, but it's because they reported yeah. what the government said, which was largely, and I'm going to quote here, there is no need to panic buy. So the oh, quote, the government said? Right, exactly. So, there's, so there is, <laughs> so the BBC News headline is, in the quotation oh, marks, no. no need to panic uh, buy. In quotes. Say, say the UK government. So, James, here's a test for you. Don't think of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, man. Don't think of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. 
I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of the erect Tower of Pisa. Correct. Does it does not matter if I say don't or there's no need for you to do that. Whatever comes after that, you think of. <laughs> so in the same way, if you tell people don't panic buy, they yeah. simply hear the words panic buy and they go and do it. <laughs> it would have been better to say nothing, right? <laughs> no, it would have been better to say please buy your petrol as normal. Yeah, it would have been best to say that, yeah. Rather than there are no shortages, and now we're talking about shortages, and people say, oh, there's a shortage, let's go and fuel up on petrol. So, yeah. my conclusion from that, and that's uh, 500 quid, please. Oh, uh, the conclusion sure. of that is the government need to sort out their messaging, and rather than telling people what not to do, because by saying that, you are telling people to panic buy, you're <laughs> telling people there are shortages, even if there are not, uh, you have got to tell them, please buy petrol as normal. Yeah. Please whatever it is you want to you actually want them to do as opposed to what you don't want them to do so the media's role in that yeah, is they are factually reporting what the government have said and if that quote is in the negative then it's too late yeah. the, the public and regular people will see the, see the words panic buy and they then go and do it and then when it does happen everyone says oh I'm so confused why did the public go and panic buy that's why that is why because the government said not to yeah yeah it's their own uh, fault yeah okay yeah seriously you owe me money now <laughs> yeah Oh, uh, yeah, I'll pay you eventually someday, maybe. Okay, this is uh, just before we, we move on to something else. The uh, This is a microcosm Ooh. of a much wider issue, <laughs> which is the fact that in se- it is September, James. It is September, yes. and we're now talking about fuel shortages. We've seen over the last few months food items f- missing from shelves at McDonald's, at KFC, at Greg's, all sorts of things. It's just in the middle of the year, not close to any yeah. sort of peak holiday time. Normal time of year, yeah. But this is what I imagine is going to happen in the run-up to Christmas. We will start to see things disappearing off shelves because there is a lack mm-hmm. of drivers, there's a lack of staff, there's a lack of this, that, the next thing. And now the government are saying, hmm, I do think we actually need the European workers who we booted out the country. Yeah, well, of course they do, yeah. Which is why they're going to have the visa go till Christmas, because their tiny little brains are like, well, if the biggest problems are going to happen on the build-up to Christmas, the visa should at the most cover the build-up to Christmas. And that is all that their tiny brains could reach to. Um, But that isn't going to solve any problems in the long run. Uh, It takes a lot longer than that to train a whole new generation of, of, of drivers, or even to to pay them fairly enough to uh, to attract all the drivers who are not driving back because we've got so many people who are licensed to drive these things who choose not to because it is terrible work and isn't compensated right fairly. so just on that point just on that point I was listening to and I've seen and read a couple of these lorry driver diaries right and they sound horrendous yeah you know it's it's like hey I, I get up at 3 a.m on uh, Sunday morning, and then I will eventually get home at some point on a Friday, and over over the course of the week, I sleep in a box of six foot by three, and I get paid £12 an hour. Yeah. I think, wow, who really wants to do that? Yeah, and it's just to keep all of the products... Low, low enough of a cost so that people can overspend on them, even if they are poor. It's all manipulative, and we we'll continue to get the blame. The consumer will continue to get the blame for the prices and for the distribution and yeah. all of these things. When it is always down to the people at the top and the decisions they make. Uh, yet another um, fallout of of Brexit is this. Even if it's not the whole answer. 
Brexit is a major contributing factor, as it has been to many of the other problems. Um, but the government will continue to try and pretend that Brexit is just going to be worth it if we can hang on for another, like, Three months. Okay, well, we shall see. Uh, Something which is happening sooner, though, is Scotland's new vaccine passport system. And the news this week is that it's not actually going to be enforced until more than two and a half weeks after it's brought in. So people going to nightclubs and many other large events will need to show proof that they've had two doses of the vaccine. Right. Uh, That was meant to kick in this Friday, which is the 1st of October. But this week, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon confirmed there would now be a grace period until the 18th, which means that there's no enforcement uh, against businesses who don't comply and that this delay will mean that businesses can test adapt and build confidence in the practical arrangements they will need to put in place to be compliant with the scheme. So this, as we've talked about before, has been criticised for the fact that businesses don't really know how it's going to work. And I think this delay is essentially because the Scottish government recognised yeah, yeah, I think we need to figure that out as well. And I think that makes sense. I think this is a good move. I think credit to them. They got called out for having a scheme that didn't quite make sense yet. So adding a little bit of a, hey all, a fortnight to figure it out between us makes makes a bunch of sense to me. Um, they, they've probably looked at the fact that the COVID rate of infection is going down in Scotland right now and have gone, eh, yeah, we've got a bit more leeway than we had when it was just spiking day after day. Um, and I do hope that the, the fortnight helps this idea of easing it in and confidence and encouraging the businesses to actually try this uh, happen. And we'll see. This is a move that I approve of in terms of their approach to the COVID passports. And the thing is, I touched on this before, if it's a case of me getting in and showing a couple of QR codes, that's fine. Yeah. But I've recognised this week that it's not aimed at me. It's aimed at the youngest, I just want to say generation, uh, criteria 18 to 27 i believe is the bracket that's it the age bracket that they're targeting with this which is why it's largely nightclubs yeah and then some some larger venues where rather than testing say 60,000 celtic fans to ensure they've had two vaccines it will be spot checks whereas at nightclubs by the sounds of things you will need to show it and the reason for that is because the 18 to 27 age bracket is the least vaccinated Indeed. out of everybody yeah, and, and it makes good sense to target the things that they do. Yeah, and this is one way of ensuring that those who are yet to get it, get it, because otherwise they are unable to get in to the Savoy. And, like, as we've said, the technology isn't impossible to make in a hurry. And if they do make it in a hurry and have it distributed before this happens, it should be very easy to adopt this kind of a thing because lots of other events can do it by themselves. You got plenty of events that have got the ability to check your uh, your your passes online or to check your passes via QR code and all of these things. That we're used to this. We can even do it at airports and stuff like that. So um, it really shouldn't be a huge big hurdle. But of course, even the smallest of hurdles seems like a massive undertaking for the industry. Just before we we move on to something lighter, I want to raise a, a very general question, which may seem a little daft, a little uh, right, redundant, right. but okay. Every single week that of things of happening and there's things happening in the Scottish Parliament, you know, vaccine passports introduced or 12 to 15 year olds getting vaccinated, which is now starting, letters are being sent out. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the SNP is doing, 
<laughs> the Tories yeah. or Douglas Ross yeah. and Labour and Anna Sarwar <laughs> will have like a long list of things that they think is terrible about yeah. this idea. Yeah. And they never, never seem to have to stand up and be like, yep, yep, we agree. Good idea. Thanks very much. Yeah, they're not allowed to. They're always, regardless of, of like how good or the idea is, you know, vaccine passwords make sense. They constantly have something to say and something to argue against. And it only yeah. hit me this week. I'm thinking... Do they, do they have to do that just because they're opposition? Well, they have to say something yeah, mean. Uh, they don't want to disappear. Because that must get so tiresome. They've got no policies or ideas of their own to advocate for. So the only way that they can get the most headlines is to advocate against everything they possibly can as loudly as they possibly can. Um, this is a problem with the Labour Party in general is that the ideas they have, they don't talk about. Instead, they just whine about everything that is currently wrong. Right. And they should be advocating for things. It's It's been a criticism of Keir Starmer for a long time. One that he seems to be maybe trying to tackle now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to jump in here just because yeah. this is a good point about Labour in Scotland. This was a realisation last week because you may have seen the news about uh, Calmac Ferries. Scotland needs some more. And uh, they put the... They put it out for tender. Hey, ferry shipyard people who make boats, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bid Boatman. for how much you want to bid for to make these things. Yeah. And the contracts are going to, I think on the short list is Poland, Romania and Turkey. Shipyards in those right. countries. And Ferguson, yes. which is the shipyard in Greenock, which is already five years behind on two other Calamac ferries, <laughs> yeah. didn't make the shortlist. Right. And 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 Anna Sarwar, his Labour leader, was was fuming about this and said, I can't believe that Ferguson's didn't make the shortlist, despite the fact that every other week, when these Calamac ferries at Ferguson's, which are five years behind schedule, every time they get brought up, Anna Sarwar's like, this is an, a national embarrassment. It's, an embarrassment. it's a disgrace. I can't believe so that you gave these contracts to, to, to Ferguson. And then when you don't give them to Ferguson, suddenly it's the worst thing ever and you're giving work to, to Turks and Poles and Romanians. How I just thought, dare you me? abide by general international rules that the Labour Party helps uphold every single week of its existence? Literally, the first minister was like, look, we are bound by legal yeah. rules in terms of the bidding process. We can't just give it to a Scottish yard because they're Scottish. Because it's convenient, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you have to, like, sure, the Scottish the Scottish yard can have good bids because they have locality and therefore there's more flexibility in, in, their, in how they finance things, blah, blah, blah. But if they don't take advantage of that to have a lower bid than the international market, then sorry, the law comes into it comes into work, right? And this is the law that the neoliberal Labour Party loves. This is a law that the Tory Party loves. The laws that keep um, trade and keep things global and keep everything handshaky worldwide. If they want to start pretending that they're advocating against it for political gain, they should be called out. And Colin, you did a good job calling it out. Oh, I, I'm sorry that it took 29 years for me to realise that. Politics is essentially all theatre. Well, it is. And it is just... I, and it I mean, It is just people shouting and raising their voice, even if it's something they totally agree with, but they, they can't be seen to agree with it because, oh no, now the Tories are in bed with Labour. Yeah. And how dare they? I, I do think it's also pretty useless from all the people who pretend that all politics is, is theatre. And you get this whole like, oh, it's just choosing between who can yell the loudest and all the parties are the same and none of them do anything. 
that kind of laziness leads to it being theater, right? Right, right. But a lot of the political sides we see at the moment are pretty much just different shades of the same brush. They are, it's not yeah. quite the the phrase I was going for, but you know what I mean. They're no, not the, that dissimilar. There is truth to it, but just pretending that that's the whole truth of politics just irks me so much when people complain about um, the voting system or, and on one hand, and then we'll say that all the parties are the same on the other hand. It's just like, you got to approach politics with a bit more nuance than just acting like you think everything is theatre. Because you do see the parties working together sometimes. They'll just do it very quietly because they don't want their supporters to notice. Right. And you do see that you're the party you support making mistakes and they'll hide it. And you as a supporter should take that chance to write a letter to your representative within the party so that they know it's seen, right? And you as a as someone who lives in the in the area covered by whatever politician is just kind of like being a hypocrite, you should write them. You write an email and be like, I see you being a hypocrite, mate. And we all should do that. And then nobody does. But it makes sense that we don't because like, it's inconvenient and we're all worked to the bone as it is. Why on earth would we spend extra energy complaining about politics? That's their job. Yeah, you just said what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, James, we've got some trailers this week and also some moving news but of course we've got to start with what we've been watching so what do you have i watched i, f- I finished two anime okay and I- i'll talk about one of them because i don't think i'm going to finish another one in the next week okay but maybe i will and then we can pick between those two next week. right well so well you you well, right you finish you tell us about an anime and i'm going to tell you about a hollywood movie i saw okay all right i'll let you choose we've got Tokyo Revengers, and we've got Two Year Eternity. Two Year Eternity sounds like a great metal band, so let's go for that. Two Year Eternity is is a show about an immortal being that has been put onto Earth to experience life. Nice. I, I won't say much more than that without spoiling the thing. Um, and it's a it's a it's a creature that learns via experience. So at the start of the show, it's just complete instinct blah 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 and then as it goes on it learns more about what it is to be uh someone who exists and experiences uh, happiness sadness loss pain and all those things um and it's got one of the strongest opening episodes to a show that i have seen in a very long time okay and then the first arc of the show is high quality um exploring characters of different kinds um how how children aspire to be adults blah 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 the importance of family blah 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 the importance of the family you choose um and all of those things and then arc two comes in and we explore insane amounts of like trauma and grief in a very very well executed way so the show is like getting better and better and then it kind of stagnates and then it ends kind of well um this is a show unlike anything I've really seen. Again, much like many anime are, or many original, more original um, shows are. Um, and this, the things it's choosing to talk about aren't really like revolutionary. Like we're talking about, hey, it, it, grief is sad, but also it means that you had good experiences, or otherwise you wouldn't have felt grief when they ended, right? It's not new. Um, but they do it in a really good way because they've given us the main character 
uh, as a fresh slate, just someone completely blank to have all of those feelings experienced at their fullest. And they represent that really, really well. Um, and it, there's this whole like mystic element to it. There is, uh, there is obvious bad guys. They have got their their means to have uh, endless amounts of like fighting and action and blah blah. Um, but overall, really good show. The music complemented it incredibly well throughout. So even though it kind of took a dip and got a bit mediocre for the second half, and only picked up again for for me basically the last episode or two. Uh, in general, they've got really well done characters, all with their own unique personalities, um, excellent designs, excellent art, excellent excellent act, um, action, and and excellent humanizing of character. Right. And then it ends. It ends well enough to make me want another season. And they've announced another season, so come back in two years, and I'll talk about that one. Sounds good. Okay, I'm going to tell you about Cop Shop. Which is not the even movie a I single saw. question about this show. I feel so ignored, Colin. I was the thing is I considered a question, but then you kind of answered it, which was, would you go back and watch another season? In which case, you said, so they've they've announced another season, so I'll probably go back and watch that. Ask me in two years, so I can go back and ask you, James, if there's another season of this show made, which by the sounds of things there is, would you watch it again? Because yeah. it sounded like this season was kind of a mix. It started well, ended well, but the middle was like, yeah, big stand, mm-hmm, big standing. Mm-hmm. So would you go back and watch yeah. a second season? That's my question for you. Absolutely, absolutely would. And I'll tell you another reason why is because they gave you enough of a, a change to the show in the final arc to be like, well, I guess season two isn't going to be exactly the same. I'll go watch so, it. So, do you think though that they because they did that in the first season, they're just going to repeat the same sort of trick in following seasons, <laughs> like change it a little bit to keep you right. curious? I don't know because these things generally follow an already. This is a story that is that has been written in manga form so it's already following something along okay okay so because it's coming from directly inspired by what's what's the equivalent to comics there is less of this season and seasonal arc in comics and in 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 works of of uh yep written form so not really you don't see that so often unless it is a show that is written just to be a show were you satisfied with my questions Oh, I feel far less ignored now. Okay, good. Let me tell you about Cop Shop, which was the movie I saw this week. It is still out in cinemas. I saw it uh, last Thursday. It stars Gerard Butler, everyone's favourite Scottish-American. He is so Scottish. Oh, he is so paisley. Yeah, he knows all the lingo. And also Frank Grillo in a very bad, ill-fitting wig. And introducing Alexis Lauder. And I believe one of her first ever movies. So this is essentially a B movie, but right. dressed. And by B, I mean like capital B. I don't mean about bees. Not like the B movie. And no, no, like it is death? not the B movie. It is a B movie. Right. So the more I say that out loud, the more I'm just thinking, what am I saying? What am I saying? <laughs> it's the kind of movie you would see that's been like cheaply made. It doesn't yes. have much of a plot. It's kind of like all violence, no substance. Yeah. But it's a Hollywood movie. It's made to. It's made for DVD sales, but those don't exist anymore. So. <laughs> right, right. It's the kind of film you would see in a, a bargain bin yeah, yeah. in your local co-op for three quid. Yeah. And you think that looks trash, but also fun. Yes. That's basically what this movie is. Okay. So it's produced by Gerard Butler himself. Oh. And it, essentially it's all set, the majority of the film is set in a police station in Nevada somewhere. Okay. And basically you have a hitman, 
and another hitman, okay. and a con man, right. and a rookie cop, oh. all in the same space. Oh, but also lots of dirty cops too, because of course, oh. B movie. I feel like I've seen this film. What happens? Do they get us? Do, do they get attacked from the outside and have to form form a gang to fight off the people who want to kill every single one of them by just happenstance? Not quite. No, Rookie Cop is the the one. She is the lead character. This Alexis Louder. She's great. Right. But essentially, yeah, it just follows this uh, this plot of this Rookie Cop who realizes, ah, I am surrounded by lots of bad people right now, and lots all the bad people have motives to want to kill each other, and I'm in the middle of it. Right. And there's various various different uh, dynamics at play, and then of course there's you know. The smoke alarm goes <gasps> off, and then the sprinklers come out, and then the lights go out. So it's in- increasingly ramping up the tension. Then there's a big fire at the end as well, oh, and, and then suddenly, like the local mayor gets involved, and there's all sorts of shenanigans in the the, the wider picture. However, when you're watching the film, it, it does very much strike you that this is a trash movie. However, I did quite enjoy it. I don't think I would ever go back and watch it again. Yeah. But for, like, a passable way... Brain off. Of, yeah, oh, absolutely. Brain off, just guns, some quite, quite okay acting. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd describe it. Jared Butler... Yes. ...cannot do an American accent. No. In the same way that I can't do accents at all. Right. And when I do one, it sounds like someone who's learned English attempting to do an accent. Right, that's also just me speaking. In the same way, it's, it's just Jared Butler... With his weird accent as it, as it is already, attempting to be American, and it's just not convincing. And then we say certain lines, you say certain things, and you and you realize that wasn't even with an accent. You just said that. And he's all, and look, I like Jared Butler. I think in Three Hundred, he's phenomenal. And in Greenland, which I I watched recently and reviewed recently, he's excellent. However, he's very much he was he was great in in How to Train Your Dragon. Right. However, he is very much uh, and Den of Thieves as well. Den of Thieves I liked a lot. He's a one note actor. He does he plays the same guy yeah. with varying degrees of violence yeah. in every single movie, apart from the rom coms in which there's no violence. Thankfully, true. Yeah, yeah, not the same amount of violence. Yeah. So in this film, he's playing the bad guy, but of okay. course he still has to have some sort of sympathy because he's Gerard Butler and he wants to be the fan favorite. Yes. And the way it ends, it's... Does he fall in love with the rookie cop? Not quite, but oh. it does end on a note where you think, right, they could do more with this. Okay. However, considering the distinct lack of marketing and by the looks of things, the distinct lack of tickets being bought, this is probably a one and done. Yeah. And Frank yeah. Grillo, I like Frank Grillo a lot, but someone needs to get him a better wig. He's just given long <laughs> hair in this movie and it, it looks terrible. It's you can tell weird, it's a wig. Has it got the weird wig sheen? Like the, you can tell it, someone's not not spent enough on a wig. The kind of one that they've they've like ordered off eBay and they realise, oh wait, this is not what the picture looked like. They try to like put some hairspray on it to try and make it ruffle <laughs> a wee bit and add some texture. And again, he's a good actor, but in this, it's kind of thankless. Right. So it's it's fine. It's fine. fine. Although I would, uh, if you would like to see a, a standout acting performance, then actually I would. Chuck this on for the appearance of a Toby Huss, okay. who was a new name to me. He's a veteran actor. He's been in a lot of things, okay. but he has maybe like a half hour spell in this movie. Okay. And he totally steals it. Nice. So yeah. that's the only shining light. So if you see Cop Shop pop up on Netflix in the next few months, which it probably will, yeah, stick it on the background. Yeah. No, I always appreciate someone producing something for themselves. I hope that Butler had a great time doing it. I, I, I'm yeah. not sure if I currently have any reasons to dislike him. Maybe I've forgotten some. So assuming that I don't, then 
thumbs up to the guy. Well done. You, you made your own project. Dear listener, if you have reviewed anything, if you've reviewed anything, no, if you've watched anything. <laughs> Send the recording. You, Why are you sitting on it? If you have watched anything, a TV show, a film, a book, or you had a nice dinner. Yeah. Or even like a, a, you went for a nice walk. Review it. Send or, it to or, us. Or if you had a not nice dinner or a not nice walk. Yeah. You, know, you, you can review those. And you can send them to us, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. We have played many reviews in the past, so please do get in touch. It saves me and James talking, and it's nice to hear other people. It is. But James, we may well have a review of No Time to Die, the new James Bond film, next week, because it is out in cinemas on Thursday. It is the most pre-booked film in UK cinemas in recent history. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of... Uh, good vibes for this movie. It was and uh, it was meant to come out last year. Has been delayed and delayed and delayed some more. Yeah, yeah. But it's finally yeah. happening. And by the looks of things, it seems to be okay. Reviews have been good, so I shall report back oh. next week. All right. Okay. Well, James, let's check out some trailers. Starting with okay. the first teaser for Stranger Things season four. Right. Here we go. Could you maybe clarify what sort of clues we're supposed to be looking for here? The world is full of obvious things which nobody by any chance ever observes. Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) James, I appreciate this as a teaser, but I didn't like it. I didn't get it. (laughs) I did. Oh, well, you got got it? You know what what it's going to be about? Right, so... If you want to go and, you know, pause the podcast, go and watch the trailer, and then you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Right, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. essentially shows they've gone back in time, and there's a family who move into a house, and everything's great, and everything's fun, but oh no, the house has the some house secrets. Is spooky. It's a spooky house, just in time for Halloween, and lights are flickering, <laughs> and clocks are doing oh. weird things, and then suddenly, oh, a dead rabbit. we're back in modern days with the Stranger Things crew, who have all now hit puberty. And they are in the same house. Even they broke oh, it. Oh, I wonder what shenanigans will unfold. And that, to me, is essentially the plot of Stranger Things Season 4. It seems to be, but it might just be like a little subplot. They're teasing like one of the stories that they're going to do. But again, it just didn't get me. You know, it was, there was the, the the larger lad who had a wee Sherlock Holmes quote, and that was about it. Yeah, it was, a, it was very much a teaser, just minimal reveals of what is going on. But it did not make me interested in the show. I was not teased by it. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit bland. It was just like, remember the Stranger Things cast? Here they are. Here they <laughs> are, but they look older. They're in a, they're in a worn down house this time. Um, but I don't know. I'm okay with it. It, it did, uh, it did get me a little bit, a little bit uh, anxious. That's a good sign, right? It was a little bit scary. Um, some of the designs, so that's okay. Um, I I am I am curious in the way of I don't know how they're going to fit this into the current threads and the current plot that is going on. I'm interested that they have seemed to have scaled down the story. Okay. Whereas every previous season got grander and grander, and then this one it's like, hey, we're in a house. They're all here. I'd like that. I I'd like it if they just like did a different feeling rather than just making it a world war this time or something ridiculous. So I'm curious enough that this teaser reminded me of what I care about in the show and is getting me thinking on what they're going to do. 
So yeah, well, that's it. And I mean, I've talked I've talked about this before. I just kind of want the show to end and for all of it to be resolved. And that's just because I can't handle the stress yeah, of like yeah. these poor children being haunted by the upside down. Yeah. Just let the kids live their life. Let them go make mistakes and come out of the closet 13 years after they should have. Ex- well, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe they are going to start setting up a different Stranger Things story like they've tried to before and they're going to try and have a different uh, a whole Stranger Things universe and we might see this group of of individuals have their stories wrapped up quite nice and only ever appearing cameo from here on out uh, as they try to keep the IP alive and keep pumping money out of it who knows but clocks are scary. I'll tell you that. Ticking clocks, oh boy. Big, big clocks. Yeah, big clocks. They, they always put me off. Yeah, they get me sweating. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about another trailer. This one, okay, go watch this one. This is The Harder They Fall. Oh, yeah. It's an upcoming American Western. It also has the likes of Idris Elba, Regina King, Jonathan Major, Zazie Beetz, Delroy Lindo, mm-hmm. Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Everyone who's everyone is in this. Here's the trailer. I know who you are. That love, the outlaw, hunts down those who trespass against him with no mercy. Where is he? Where is who? Your boss. My boss. Clearly, you don't know me. I heard Rufus Buck was back. So ain't no road to ask a friend to travel. Okay, James, go. What do you think of this? Okay, I'll be I'll be completely honest. The film looks pretty terrible, um, but I'm probably gonna love it. It it looks stylish enough to pass the test. It yep. kind of looks like somebody tried to make a Tarantino film, but also make it <laughs> a little bit cooler and a little bit more approachable. And they hit enough of the marks to make a film. Um, I am excited to see this cast work because it's got a lot of people that I really like. And I really think that they they do a good job in everything they do. And that's like the hope for me is that the cast will carry it. I think the film can be as bad as it wants. With these names doing that, it's probably going to be really enjoyable. So one thing I noticed, first of all, is that in the opening credits, it says produced by Sean Carter. And I saw that name. Right. I was like, that name looks familiar. Okay. And do you know why it looks familiar? No. It's because it's Jay-Z. Oh. (laughs) Right? Money bags. And clearly, now I don't know his involvement. If suddenly he's like, it's produced by him. Yeah. So does that mean he's just been like, hey, I want to make a movie and I want all my favorite people in it. Yeah, maybe. I'm Jay-Z, so I'm going to message them. He he, he puts the money in, he gets the money back. He, 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 He has influence over some of the stylistic choices. And casting choices. But what I thought was interesting was that they went with, and clearly this is a personal decision, he's gone with Sean Carter rather than Jay-Z. It is, yeah. Do you think that's because he wants to get a bit more, some more credibility to his own name rather than his rap name? Maybe, maybe he's trying to like have his two different sides, like his his uh, film name and his, like his, his I Make Artsy film name and his I Make Music name. And have have a slice of both industries about cross contaminating and having people um, combine the two, maybe. But it should be fun. 
And anything with Lakeith Stanfield, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna watch it. He's the best. I think he's my favorite actor right now. Just everything I see him in. He's to go back to the conversation we had about 40 minutes ago. He's who I want to be friends with. Yeah, he seems great. No, he's 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 some he's he's currently one of those people who I will just watch what 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 they make. Okay, and uh, we do have one more trailer for you. It's a a very short one. And I believe it's an Apple TV series called The Tragedy of Macbeth, or maybe it's an Apple TV film. Film, yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, yes, yet another Macbeth adaptation. Can't believe it. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. James, this has Denzel Washington. It does. Playing... Macbeth? I think. I can't remember. Well, the, um, the character called like Duncan and <laughs> Billy. You clearly have not watched enough Macbeth adaptations. <laughs> this is the one for you. Banquo. Right. There we go. I remembered, I remember one of them start with B. It's yes. not Billy, it's Banquo. No, not enough Banquos in the world. I have not seen enough Macbeth adaptations either, and I think we should start naming people Banquo, even if their names aren't Banquo. If I ever have a kid, that's his name. He's going to be... Absolutely. Baby baby Banky. Baby Banky. Oh, dear. I don't like that. That's too corporate. (laughs) My favorite industry is the financial one. Yes. And that's, well, cryptocurrency, you know. Uh, Get rid of the status quo. Get rid of the banks. Status bank quo. Bank was a middle name. The first name is down with (laughs) these. Okay, what did you think of uh, Down with the Banquo? Uh, well, the trailer, like, I'm, I'm, I'm keen. I think Macbeth, alongside many other actual, like, just yeah. very well-known IPs out there, they've transcended the point of me being fed up of them, and they've turned into this, like, I do enjoy seeing how different people interpret them. And I actually do. I think uh, taking something that's been overdone and trying to do it in your own way is an interesting decision and is one that can lead to um, you nah. having a more pure representation of your art because because all the parts that people are so familiar with are removed from the review and you have to focus on all the things that make it different. So you get a much more pure representation of someone's artistic decisions. So I'm keen to see it. Right, I I disagree, and here's why. Because a few years ago, you may recall that Michael Fassbender was the lead in an adaptation of Macbeth with Justin Kurzel directing. Yeah. And uh, Justin Kurzel had come straight off of some hot movie project. I don't remember what it was, but this film was super hype because it was Justin Kurzel, it was Michael Fassbender, it was going to be amazing. Okay. And you looked at the trailer, and it was artsy, and it was slow-mo, and it was all these different things, Uh but the finished film was turgid and terrible and... Right. Just devoid of anything that made it enjoyable. And here's my, my issue with Shakespeare adaptations. And bear in mind, I only, only have seen a few. Y- yeah. A handful. Um, yeah. A morsel. Nary a shake. The most recent one I saw was Coriolanus. <laughs> the most, most recent one was Coriolanus. And it was a, several years ago. I had uh, Ralph Fiennes, Jared Butler. Yeah. I, I went into that movie expecting it to be some sort of Hollywood big screen adaptation, but no. Oh, no, it was a play. It was absolutely the play, except they just had yeah. cameras and good actors. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I was bored, just because, all right. you know, Shakespeare is, what, 500 years old? 
Right. Something like that? Yeah. I mean, he's been he's been dead for a while, but his plays certainly are, are old. Right. And so it lacks, perhaps, the modern-day uh, give-me-all-this-stuff-on-the-screen-right-now Yeah, yeah. films that we, we come to expect. I, I, However, you, I believe there is a way you can do Shakespeare and make it entertaining, right. but I'm yet to see one, you, which is... Are you ignoring... Which takes that box. Are you ignoring that one Romeo and Juliet film that we all watch in school? Is that the one with DiCaprio? yeah. Never saw it. I still think about that film to this day, and I only ever saw it when I was a child. That one, why? It, it, it's just so unique, and that's what I like. It, it's it's pretty bad in a lot of ways, and much like Coriolanus is pretty bad in a lot of ways, and much like my, Michael uh, Fagbeth was a lot was pretty bad in a lot of ways. Michael Fagbeth, that's not <laughs> what I, what I like about them is is when the directors and everybody working on it tries to find a way to make it different. Which, right. in the ones that you're referencing, they didn't. They just tried to do a pure adaption, and those suck. Because, yeah, we've all seen those a thousand times, and even if we've not, they're not something of this age. I do think there are far more Shakespeare stories and far more just generally old things that need to be adapted more often than the likes of Macbeth and are never getting a visit, never mind this one story that gets a visit every six months. But I do like the revisits because when people try hard, they come up with something that will stick with you. Okay, right. Well, leave Macbeth in his his bloody hands in the waters of Neptune. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I remember. And talk uh, one final entertainment story before we uh, move on to our last section. It's the Mario movie. And some very interesting casting. Yes, it's me, Chris Pratt, because (laughs) Nintendo have announced that he is to voice Mario in the upcoming Super Mario Bros. animated movie. Also, I'm sorry that It's a Me, Chris Pratt, was not delivered very full of panache. Neither uh, is he going to have any panache in the film, so it's fitting. Okay, so so some of this cast I like. I'm just going to take you through the rest of them, okay? So Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach. Yeah, sure. Charlie Day as Luigi. Should be fun. Great. Yep, Jack Black as Bowser, Perfect. absolutely. 100%. Keegan, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. That's a, an excellent troll, high-quality trolling. And Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Terrible. Delete. Okay, so I am just very surprised, slash unsure where this is going. <laughs> I know, right? Because Charlie Day, if, if you're unfamiliar, is the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> high-pitched voice, man. High-pitched voice, hyper-excited all the time. Are they just going to make them American, or are we going to get Charlie Day and Chris Pratt doing Italian accents? They, 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 yeah, absolutely. Maybe they'll do, like, mob American, like American-Italian accents. Okay, well, like, up, up, uptown New York. I'm not going to try one, but... Uh, no, neither am I. It would be worse than the Can film. I get a pizza in it? <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, that was, that was poor. That was only, like, five words. Right. <laughs> But do you see my point? Are they going to get them to do the no, yeah, yeah, yeah. over-the-top Italian? Or are they going to go for just, hey, it's Chris Pratt. You can it's, tell it's Chris Pratt. Like, yeah, I, I, they're going to go for it's just Chris Pratt. It's just going to be generic film. And and honestly, they can get away with that if they give it the, the Detective Pikachu treatment, right? How so? I think that a lot of people are losing sight of, of the world here. And they're going like, well, why aren't they just getting the Mario voice actor to do the film? Well... They don't need to if they make it just distant from the actual IP and are making something that right. feels like itself. 
i.e. Reynolds being Pikachu. Um, if they just have everybody being a character, it will land just fine. It is very trolly though, and it is a shame for people who have voiced these characters for countless games at this point to not even be getting a sniff at the gig but, but and just also, it going to generic Hollywood people. I understand why they pick the, those actors because if they just have, hey, here's the guy who voiced Mario doing a Mario movie yeah. no one's going to watch that. It's going to be so gimmicky and so bad it, like that movie you know is going to be bad right. whereas when it, you just get generic voice actors you have no idea what but, to expect. It could be even worse but it could also be okay. But, but, but also a film with generic actors will never get the budget will never get the promotion marketing and ultimately people yeah, watching yeah, yeah, so yeah. i understand similarly to detective pikachu you do have to do a little bit of stunt casting and you think right yeah let's stick ryan reynolds in this and people will go and see it and they'll enjoy it and that's what happened yeah i think that 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 is just how the world is going to be working for these attempts to make video game into film you're seeing it with but this is but this is the way it's always been kind of and kind of not the voice acting industry does exist and they have their own stars and they have their own big names. Yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, oftentimes the films that are most well received in a in a voice work situation is is are those that also have a listers in them. And um, that's what Pixar always has done. It's even what Studio Ghibli started doing to try and get their films a bit more internationally uh, accepted. They started casting um, a list actors instead of voice actors for the English dubbing. So it works. But I, yeah, I feel the pain of everybody, and it it does feel like a punchline to a, to a joke. But it's their only option. Uh, one very brief story before we uh, move on. I did say it was the last one, but I lied. The film Dune or Dune, yes, uh, has been out in Europe. It has for some uh, number just of about days. five, six days at this point. It's currently sitting at $75 million, which, considering it is yet to open in the States, in the UK, and in China, is pretty good. So... Pretty good. I am. I'm staying away from any in-depth reviews, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that is a promising start. Considered, or considering the fact that this is a, as we've talked about before, a vast IP to take on mm-hmm. that people know very little about. Yeah, and it's apparently just very, very long, and only the first part of two, which the second part hasn't even been green, hasn't even been greenlit yet. Yeah, so. so it needed a big box office. It appears to have started well. Yeah, it's getting about as good of a box office as you can expect in these times. Um, so whether or not that will mean that they'll get a green light for the next one and then hopefully make a lot more money from number two, uh, you never know. But it's it's definitely not looking like it's a dead fish. Okay, James, a few stories to take us home. Let's start with the scum that is Boris Johnson. That is the quote yeah. mm-hmm. from Angela Rayner, uh-huh. who uh, earlier this week said she would be happy to sit down with the Prime Minister after facing criticism for calling him scum. So the Deputy oh, Labour Leader no, has... such strong language. She has indeed stood by the comment. She was asked to rescind it. She was asked to apologise. She's done neither. <laughs> and instead, <laughs> repeated it. <laughs> 
and uh, also <laughs> accused Boris Johnson of making racist, homophobic, and sexist remarks, which he has, dear listener. Which he has, yeah. Like, <laughs> and uh, she's she also told the truth. <laughs> yeah, and she also posted pictures of headlines where the prime minister had refused to say sorry for his own controversial comments, and in a quote. Miss Rayner said, if Boris withdraws his comments and apologises, I'll be very happy to apologise to him. Yeah. So, what do you think of this, James? Because this has divided uh, even people within the Labour Party. I, I would say I did read and listen to the initial statement that she made that, that this snippet came from. And I would say it was lacking uh, specificity. Okay. It was easily misinterpreted. So she should have probably been a bit more careful with her words. Made sure that the that Boris's name was always beside scum, or specific names were always beside scum. Because since then she's had to right emphasize like what she actually meant. I actually just meant the front bench, and I actually just meant Boris and all that stuff. So I think it was clumsy, but absolutely true. They are scum. I guess that's that's mild language compared to what they actually deserve to be told. Very true. From politician or not. So linked to this, today, Wednesday, Sir Keir Starmer gave his first in-person party speech at the Labour conference. Right. With the uh, the headline here being that Labour will never again go into an election without a serious plan for government. That was the uh, the main line coming out uh, of it. When, when have they? Uh, well, apparently they're going to do it from now on. Oh, we didn't do that last time or the time before that. They did. They had good manifestos. I do think that was his jibe, which was a bit like, well, previous leaders, not naming any names, (laughs) might rhyme with uh, Laramie (laughs) Bourbon. Didn't have a plan, so that's what we're going to do differently. But anyway, James, this, this, this speech got a standing ovation, but he was heckled by some left-wingers yeah, at, yeah. The, at the conference. What do you think of all this? Starmer's position on previous leadership and on the left is disappointing me to this day because for, for people who had no plan on government, it's weird to see so many of their ideas being lifted by the Tories and by Starmer and used used as a response not just to pandemic but to brexit and to generally everything since so many things that were in previous labor's plans for government have been implemented by by the tories of all people because it is just so right, right. impossibly important to do and um, so it's weird to keep on trying to like bash the previous people who it is the folks like Starmer and all of these centrists who let down who literally threw an election away because they didn't want Corbyn to win and that is just factual and this continued deliberate division in an attempt to get more popularity from I don't know people who are soft Tory voters might pay off but I do find it to be disappointing because the Labour Party is supposed to be one who wants to implement basically socialism and instead we're getting leaders who are like hey we're not lefty we, we don't have lefty opinions we're just sensible and British it doesn't inspire anyone. Uh, one of the quotes here is he said, uh, Labour is a party of patriots. Yeah. I thought, wow. Like, great. What, what is there to be patriotic about? Seriously. The war? It's always the war. What else? Are we going to be patriotic about the NHS, who, who Labour have just overseen the dismantling of by just not, not fighting against it <laughs> loudly enough? Yep. 
they do lack an identity as a party, and I think they are trying to make their identity we're not the crazy lefties, which is not really an identity, and they need to do better. No. My, my thoughts on this are politics across the world goes in cycles. And we've seen this in the, the last century in Britain. It's basically yin and yang between the Tories and Labour. You know, they'll, they'll have a spell and then they, and Most then they swap. Most of the time Tory, though. <laughs> right. So there will come a time, I'm sure, when Labour yeah. return to power. However, it will not be under Sir Keir Starmer. I'm confident about that. Now, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown both varying degrees of terrible. Mm-hmm. However... Mm-hmm. They had something yeah. about them, which was very much, uh, oh, yeah, that person. Yeah, OK, fair enough. Prime Minister material. I get that. Tony Blair, very charismatic, great speaker, good answerer of questions, less good about taking the country into a completely unjustified, immoral, unethical, illegal war. Yeah, yeah. Or like disappearing uh, ever since when he should really have. Right, exactly. Gordon Brown lacking any sort of uh, charisma or likability. Yeah. However, yeah. a leader. He also called someone an idiot. He did. Or an idiot woman. Uh, bigoted. Or something like bigoted that. Bigoted woman. Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Which, you know. Yeah, that's fine, actually. I think he was, he was accurate, but he got caught. So. But you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to be accurate Indeed. in such strong language. However, he was a leader. Sir Keir Starmer is neither a character nor a leader. Yeah, and like, and, and all he all he has is we're not crazy lefty. And I'm a lawyer. Yeah, I, oh, I, I I am in the justice system. I I helped put loads of people in prison. <laughs> Yay! Good, good, good on, on you. On. <laughs> so they're going to have to find their identity, and they need to stop bashing their own hopeful supporters because just just a go, left... sorry, I'm just I'm going to interrupt you here because we're short of time do you think Labour need to take a a firm stance on Scottish independence because they've been accused of essentially sitting on the fence Scotland was only mentioned I think twice in the 90 minute speech today it's one of many things they need to take a firm stance on and the only firm stance they have is that the SNP are bad it's like again like come on you've got the big the big terrible government to rail at rail against that and they they are not really doing anything. They're just they're just, and it still is the same old. We've been saying this since day one. They've come in to be the opposition, and they're just kind of being boring. And it's their time to shine. They should be getting all the headlines because of how badly the government's doing. Okay, a uh, little content warning here because the final three stories we're going to talk about are varying degrees of grim. So we're going to start with Sarah Everard, and this is the court case which is uh, about to wrap up actually yeah. with uh, the Met Police, or sorry, former Met Police officer Wayne Cousins, who pled guilty to the murder of the uh, 33-year-olds in March. So that's been unfolding in London today. He will be sentenced tomorrow. But the court was told today that essentially the summary of what happened is 48-year-old Cousins had uh, rocked up, pulled up alongside uh, Sarah Mm -hmm. and then using essentially fake documentation and fake rules he handcuffed her and put her into the car yeah kidnapped her drove her to dover he then raped her strangled her set her on fire or rather burned the set the body on fire i should say and then put her in various bags and uh destroyed phones raised his own sim card and then he left her body uh down a river um actually very close to land he owns so he pled guilty and it, yeah, he's going to be sentenced for that. So there's no um, trial to go through. 
And then the court was given, or rather the family of Sarah Everard stood up in court and read out their impact statements, which were yeah. really... yeah. Uh, they were tragic and the whole story James is just horrific from start to finish yeah, it's like even worse than initially you might think when you hear of this kind of an event like it's 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 so much worse than than what you can imagine when you hear about it um, and like the, <laughs> what does it tell us about how good our systems are for who we choose to be put in charge of policing Right? What lessons can be learned here? Because there must be something. <laughs> it is unbelievable that there was even an opportunity for somebody to, to be misusing their authority like this. But it's, it's also something we've been seeing with Sabina Nessa, which mm. is another case I'm sure we'll be talking about more in the, uh, the coming months. Another man uh, arrested. He made his first appearance in court this week. But it's another case of just a woman walking yeah. in through a, a busy park and never makes it home. Yeah, and like for every one of those, there's hundreds of stories that don't get reported, right? And for every one terrible, evil p- policeman who gets got and who gets the headlines and who gets justice. There's loads who just manage to cover up all the bad things they do and have their colleagues help them cover it up. Um, there, there needs to be an entire shakeup of how things work here. And that, that goes, as, as, as you're trying to say, far beyond just policing, far beyond just accountability for those who are doing these things. But it goes way back to things like how we educate people. How we how we bring people up into the society, what we ex, what we ex, teach men to expect of themselves and to expect expect from other people, and all of these things are not well done, and we need to be doing better. So, in another high-profile court case this week, singer R. Kelly was found guilty of essentially exploiting his own superstar status to run a scheme mm-hmm. which sexually abused women and children for over two decades. Yep. So 11 people, nine women and two men, took to the witness stand over a six-week trial to describe sexual humiliation and violence at the hands of R. Kelly. And after two days of deliberating, the jury found him guilty on all nine charges. He'll be sentenced next year, and he could well spend the rest of his life behind bars. Some of the details in this case, James, were horrendous, but essentially he was the ringleader of this uh, coercive and violent scheme. Yeah that lured women and kids towards him to uh, to sexually abuse so yeah. he was and he was also found of found guilty of trafficking women between different US states which Indeed, yeah. yeah this this is something which for so long has been following R Kelly and it seems that at last far too late justice has caught up to him yeah far too late but also not done yet there are plenty other cases in the works and it should see him gone for life and I, I hope it should also see plenty of his enablers gone for life because to be doing this, there has to be such a hierarchy of people involved, which is why you're seeing a charge like racketeering added on top of it because that's something that's usually only um, given for like gang stuff, like for proper um, associations of people. So a huge big chunk of humanity doing a doing an evil thing and way too late they're getting caught but they are getting caught 
and I hope that it brings some element of of peace to the people who have come together to 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 make this case happen. And lastly, in the news this week, Prince Andrew. Now, he, of course, was uh, and has been in the news for quite some time. Yep. Most recently in the headlines, his lawyers were fighting the fact that he was not properly served legal papers. Did you see this? He was dodging those. Oh, boy, did he try to hide. Oh, he did. Yeah, so so they were arguing that actually they weren't handed to the right person. Ah. And therefore, he... Did not have to go to court mm-hmm. and testify about his involvement with uh, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. No, that's what you do if you were innocent. That is, that's what an innocent person does. But also the news this week is that Prince Andrew is one of the members of the royal family who will be honoured with a Platinum Jubilee Medal from the yes. Queen. Yes. So the 61-year-old who stepped back from royal duties last year due to his uh, controversy shall we say with his uh, his friendship over um, friendship with Jeffrey Epstein he's still expected to get this award so 40,000 oh sorry 400,000 medals are being awarded to people. frontline members of the emergency and prison services as well as armed forces personnel and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prince Andrew's getting one too how nice yeah and, then, and yeah like it is a participation medal it is one of those that you can just be existing and doing your job and get it um it is ceremonial it is basically meaningless but because of that it is so much easier just to not give him the award right <laughs> you can just be like well he's not going to get it right now because everything is going on so let me just ask then because this is clearly a decision which has come from on high el Queeny. yes what is she missing? Like, what part of this is she saying, hmm, uh, well, uh, maybe no, uh, I shouldn't be giving awards to my son who's currently linked to a convicted uh, paedophile? I, I'm supposing it's the whole, like, not guilty until guilty thing. Like, don't strip people of what they've got until you find them guilty. But, but we also know how signaling works and how messaging works and how much this looks like a token of support for somebody. Um and yeah, maybe there's an argument, don't strip people of their rewards if, if you don't know they're guilty. But also, what we've already said, if the award is basically meaningless, all you're doing is tarnishing it from ev- for everybody else by saying, yep. this award is so meaningless, we can give it to a person who's uh, getting served papers. What do you think, if, if in our lifetime we win an award, what will the award be for? In our lifetime? Do you go get an MBE? An OBE? I, pro- I wouldn't accept anything like that, to be honest, even if offered. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with being like patronised by the Queen or whoever is still alive by the time I get my award. Uh, it'll be Prince Charles by then. He might be dead too. Ah. Uh, do you think you would get, would you receive a knighthood? laughable but also i'd probably want to really strongly reject it i'd I'd take it i'd take my glory in rejecting it there must be some people who've rejected it i'm sure there will be oh yeah there are there's people who reject those things and they usually don't get many headlines because the establishment doesn't like that true um you know you want to hide the fact that you can rebel and not take the patronizing um token names from the queen and token awards that are meaningless um like, I, I, and I'm sure. Like, sorry if any of you out there have awards from the royalty. I'm sure that they mean a lot to you. But to me, they are a meaningless family who represent a whole bunch of evil and a whole bunch of inequality. And I don't want them to feel like they are above me, because they're not. They're less important than me, and I don't care. They're less important than every single one of you as well. And rather than being above you, if you believe uh, certain Reddit threads, they're actually lizard people who come from inside the earth, so they're below you. Exactly. (laughs) 
Okay. Step one, though. The uh, the cries of Zelda in the background tells me it's time to end the show. So thank <laughs> she, you. She started. She started getting hungry again. It's it's dinner time for all of us. So thank you so much uh, for listening. And James, thank you very much for your time. No. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can at Operate on Twitter, Operate at gmail.com. and also. Go on YouTube and search for Seesaw Parade oh, yeah. and you'll see a wonderful Wonder Woman 1984 video that James made. It's the great. the worst video we've made yet. It's brilliant. Oh, it's phenomenal. I thought it was fantastic. Okay, James, <laughs> go and feed uh, your lioness. I will. And I will go and feed my... I was going to say <laughs> but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Bye. You bleep that and leave it in. <laughs> uh, no, that's what I should... I, su- I should have said... You go feed your Yeah, you should have, but too late. <laughs>